Thank you for tuning in to the Collecting Real Estate Podcast. We focus on learning and teaching based on our guests' journeys operating their real estate investments and providing investment knowledge to passive investors so they can comfortably invest in multifamily real estate. Thanks, everyone, for showing up for the Collecting Real Estate Podcast. We always appreciate your attendance here. We've got a great guest. His name is Andres Bernal, and he is from Connecticut. Andres, great to have you this morning. Tell us a little bit about your real estate background. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for the invite. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, Yeah, so my real estate background comes with, um, you know... uh, frustrated renter, I would say. And, um, you know, I became a, a landlord uh, sort of like accidentally because I didn't want to um, rent anymore. I want my own house. I want to pay my own walls and all that. So uh, it's, it's, it's been a, a really exciting journey uh, from ac- accidentally landlord to, you know, own um, a good amount of, por- you know, doors in the portfolio. Yeah. It's funny. Accidental landlord, haven't we've heard that many, many times, and so many people that we talk to, and so many people that have been on this podcast, that's that's how they got started, and then they go from uh, single family accidental landlords, and then some expand into large multifamily. But uh, I'm I'm very interested to see where you are, but also. I hear you you wanted to paint your own walls and that that triggered for me being a property manager for many, many years. And in the early days, I would just say, yeah, sure. No big deal. You can paint the walls. You can do this and that. And the first five years of my career were very interesting because I didn't have any rules, any systems. And that's when you start creating policies and attached to very good reasons why you have to have specific guidelines for our tenants. Because when you tell them you can paint your own walls, boy, does that turn interesting. I have a uh, uh, I have a few stories about that, but uh, like you know, before, you know, I made the mistake like a lot, a lot of landlords, like uh, because newer landlords just want to accommodate a lot of tenants, and what happens is that um, you start accommodating, but then you realize that that was not the smartest decision. So uh, one of the things that I used to do is like, yeah, paint it, whatever, and then when I go to the apartment because there was a turnaround. I realized that that wall was like red, like blue, like sky blue. And like, I'm like, hmm, this is not good. So um, I, I, <laughs> right now, one of the rules that I, that I do is um, uh, the, the call. If you want to paint your walls, that's totally fine. But there's two rules. Number one, uh, it has to be a neutral color. It has to be like a gray, something neutral that pretty much 90% of people will like, right? And then number two is that you have to paint it back to the original color that I painted. And not only, uh, and as a side note, uh, not only that, I also tell them to like, you know, you better paint it good because we hire professional uh, contractors. So, you know, if I have to come to touch up or paint or repair, 
you know that that's going to come out of the security on uh, deposit, unfortunately. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very strict with that now. But, you know, Bill, before, like, it was just like a, like a free for all. You just w- want to have a good, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I'll leave it at this. And, and that ah, it probably took me another five years before I started creating this, this, uh, this handbook, I guess you can say. And it, it really got specific on what we allowed tenants to do. It ended up turning into mostly what they're not allowed to do because uh, we started managing uh, about 250 apartments as we built that portfolio. And we used one wall color, one ceiling color, one trim color. So we could, and, and a lot of it was based on quickness, not necessarily, you know, the tenant rules was one thing, which we had to clean up. But when we're turning over any apartments and we have a high volume of turnovers at any specific time, it's really nice to go in there with those same colors and to be able to do things on short order instead of doing full paint jobs. Yeah. What yeah. What are you buying right now? What is, What does your portfolio look like? What, what What are you concentrating on? Yeah. So I have thirty two doors, and it's a combination of single family. It's two, three. I'm actually closing on a first floor unit uh, this uh, Friday, which I'm really excited. It's like a new um, endeavor, even though it's, it's almost the same thing. Um, so I'm very excited about that. That's going to put me at 36 doors. I have student rentals. I have developed a little bit of land. Um, I do literally, I, I used to do rent by room. I, I don't think that's a good model. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a good model for cash flow purposes, but it's not a good model for, um, if you want to manage your, your time well, right. And, and turn around. Uh, but I, I pretty much, you know, use, uh, you know, corporate housing. I, I, I've used a combination of a lot of things. Um, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a combination of um, uh, all the areas in real estate, I will say. Yeah. Let's talk about the student rentals a bit. I, I did that for a short period of time in the city of Albany, New York. And I, I, I rent, I rent to st- students now uh, as long as it's an application based process. So it doesn't matter who you are, if you're able to pass our screening, you can get in. In my early days in the city of Albany, we were in those highly concentrated student neighborhoods. And yeah, there's a lot of money to be made there. But mm-hmm. tell us about, you know, some stuff our listeners can learn from good and bad based on, on some of the student stuff. Absolutely. So I have about 20 students right now. And we just bought another property. So it's going to put us 25. Uh, I've been doing student rentals for about two to three years. Uh, the great thing about student rentals is obviously the cash flow, right? A cookie cutter single family, if you rent it to a regular family with like two kids, in my area, for example, you can rent it for 16, 1700, right? But with the student rental, since you are technically charging per bedroom, you, I charge seven to $800. So the cash flow is significantly higher, right? Uh, the other thing that I, what I love about uh, student rentals is like you, the landlord typically don't pay for utilities. And that is a, like a couple hundred bucks that you're saving that if you have a multifamily, you have to take care of that. So for example, things like electricity, water, sewer, 
internet, trash, landscaping, snow removal. All my students do that. Do that, and they are in charge of doing that. Why? Because they live. All the you know four students live in one house, so they're in charge of that. Uh, not not only that, but for time, you know, I don't have to schedule the landscaper. I don't have to schedule the snow removal. They are taking care of that. Um, some student rentals, I do include uh, the landscaping snow removal. It all depends on the risk of the house, right? If I have a steep ladder uh, steps, or you know, or is it, I have just I just had a house where it's like a in a in a in a downhill. So things like that, I try to mitigate my risk. Um, so the downside of the student rentals is that you know the noise and the complaints of the neighbors, uh, the parties. Um, I always say that um, you know you cannot you cannot obviously obviously discriminate if you're gonna take girls or boys or undergrad or grad. You cannot discriminate about that at least in in Connecticut. But one of the things that I, you know, I tend to rent to more girls. I think there are uh, better tenants overall. Uh, and uh, uh, one of my mentors told me, remember where the party starts. It's always in the, in the boys and the boys house. So I have, you know, good and uh, only good experiences. A, a few things here and there, like you know, normal rental. But uh, I think it's a great business model. The entry level is actually uh, easier because you can buy a single family instead of you know spending a lot of money on a multifamily. And I actually don't have one of the things that I recommend to to your audience here is that I don't have any student rentals in multifamily. And the, the obviously it's 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 a lot of noise, it's a lot of a lot of complaints. I did that and I kind of not regret it, but I learned my lesson. Only single families. Or if I have, I can have a duplex and it's all student rentals. I only put students in that duplex. I don't put like a family and like a student. So those are the things that I think I will highly recommend. Yeah, you can get good students, bad students, but even even some of the best ones, they're still young. They still want to have fun. They still like loud music, and you know that that just doesn't mix with some of that multifamily stuff. And it's 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 tough to tell a good tenant that just happens to be a student that they can't play their their music at a, at a certain level on a, on a beautiful summer day but at the same time you know you, you you don't want to bother your great tenant that the students or that the uh, music is bothering so there's so many you know we could go on for an hour on on the ups and downs on on students i i know i could i could i could share uh, i'll leave it at this you know the the girls and the guys at first, it was the girls were the way to go, and then I got some difficult girls, and then it was, wow, all people are created equal, especially in the, in the student-tenant world, and then uh, it was, I ended it this way in, in that concentrated student area. The girls did not have body whole or um, body size holes in the sheetrock walls like my my guy students did. That that's what really got me out of that yeah. that student business. But I, I think I think Bill, one of the things uh, uh, before we jump, uh, I think one of the things that um, your audience can realize is like um, when you have a student rental and you lay, it, you cannot prevent a lot of things, right? 
But if you are strict, one of the things that I do, and this is the only thing that I do with a student rental versus like a regular renter, right? I personally go and I say, listen, uh, you have a loud music once, you know, um, and the cops are calling you, you get one strike. The second strike, it's not, we're not renewing. The third strike, you have to leave. So things like that, um, again, you cannot prevent. And But since I have had that rule and I look in their eyes and I say, listen, this is the rules, then um, they respect that. And also, uh, as a side note, um, you can also get um, – I, I realize that the athletes, uh, their uh, girls, are actually less prone to party than than you know like than the regular student because they, they have to focus more on their sport they have they typically they have maybe a little bit more discipline so i, I think athletes are also uh, the way to go i i actually in, enjoy and like to rent to athletes just because you know my background but um yeah absolutely yeah i i agree uh, my background as well so i am partial to that um realizing that you know, you've been on, you've only been in Connecticut for a certain period of time because I, I did do some prep going into this, seeing that you're from the Dominican Republic and you came here with $500 in your pocket. So here's the big question. How is a guy from, a young guy from the Dominican coming into the U.S. with $500 how did you turn into a real estate investor? How'd you make that happen? I'm going to try to do the, the short story <laughs> because I could speak for an hour. But basically, um, I went to college uh, in Puerto Rico. Uh, so I graduated in 2012. And then I realized I want to pursue playing professional tennis. Um, mm. So I didn't have my, dad, my dad's approval because I was prone to... And I was, my destiny was to take care of his business in Dominican Republic. So I didn't have his blessing. I didn't have money. So my mom sneaked in a little bit. <laughs> I can say that this now, but my mom sneaked a little bit of her savings and she bought me one-way ticket to New York, right? I had a potential job offer to teach in tennis, uh, but my goal was playing professional. So I had a potential. So what happened was I came here. Uh, I didn't, I didn't have a place in Puerto Rico to stay. So I came here literally, it was not even 500, it was like 492. <laughs> and then I remember so vividly, like the first, you know, I landed, went to Times, Times Square with my two luggages. And I remember how afraid I was. I, I still get the goosebump because I didn't have, um, a hotel. I didn't have a place to, to crash. So I sat in a hotel between hotel and foods. The first day I spent a hundred and like, $45. The second day I was running, I, I, I was at the third day I had like maybe $120 left. And then I was considering like, you know, calling a cousin or something somewhere like taking, I don't know. And then I, on the third day, uh, by faith, I think, um, I got a call and say, Hey, there's a, there's a petition potentially teaching gig here in New York. Um, and I took it and, and I was not making that much, but it was just barely to survive. And then in September, I got the opportunity to be coached by a great coach here in Connecticut. That's why I moved here. Uh, and he coached me. I played professional tennis for two years. 
and it was it was awesome it was it was a great experience definitely hard <laughs> it's nice having that skill set so you're you're down to a uh, hundred and twenty dollars and then you landed that 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 tennis job so that, that that's fantastic so once you had that job you're, you're able to start accumulating a little bit of money what got you interested in real estate so um then so I play so I, I came two thousand twelve uh twelve September to Connecticut. Two years later I um my landlord was selling the house. So I'm like, you know, screw this. I wanna buy my own place and I'm gonna start investing in real estate somehow. I don't have a lot of money two years later. Um so but I'm gonna I'm gonna figure it out. I'm gonna figure this out, right? And then so I bought my first condo uh two years later after I moved to Connecticut. And then after that, I was sober now one day that I'm like literally like Googling everywhere. Like, hey, how can I retire early? I was like, this this cannot be the American dream that everybody talks about. Right. Um, so I looked at and I you know found stocks, businesses and real estate. Right. So I, I did a little bit of research. Real estate seems the, the best. And then I start buying. I bought a, a triplex. I house hacked it. I bought it with an FHA, like a lot of people start. Uh, and after that, I put my mindset that I want to scale. This is not, I don't want to have just this condo and then this triplex. I want to have more. But I, again, I was making, at that time, I was making like $60,000 a year. And um, you can, at that pace, you can maybe buy one property a year. But I, my mindset I, back then was like, I want to buy more. I just have to figure it out how. Yeah, yeah. One or two properties is great, but to make a living in real estate, I you have to accumulate a portfolio to a certain degree. Different properties perform differently, but you jumped on the internet, started researching what to do to to build a real estate portfolio, how to do it. What was who was the person that you followed? What was the book? What was the general concept to give you confidence that you could do this going forward and scale? Yeah, I definitely, you know, started, uh, I found, so I did like a week, weekend seminar and I spent a lot of money in that education. It, this is so embarrassing. I don't even know if I should talk about this, but I spent a lot of money <laughs> on real estate education, quote unquote, right? Um, and it, it barely served me for anything. And then um, I started researching and I found like free resource from people that are actually doing it is the best way to go. So obviously Bigger Pockets has been around for a long, long time. And uh, I started reading books. Uh, I started listening to podcasts and like my mind just explode. And I think that's one of the yeah. things that I highly recommend to people like start by doing what it's free first. And, and, from reliable sources because there's a lot of gurus there's a lot of people out there that claim to like teach you real estate and like i'm gonna teach you how to wholesale i'm gonna teach you how to buy your first rental and these people don't do not own real estate do not haven't had enough enough experience for you to learn about whatever you want to learn flipping wholesaling whatever it is so I, I that's my 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 best advice just learn from somebody that you know that actually is doing what where you know, where you want to go. Um, and, um, yeah, so I started writing, uh, I started, um, uh, literally reading every single book that I could. 
uh, podcast three, four times a, a week. And then after that, I start going to meetups. Once I learn more, I start networking a little bit, not only networking on the real estate side, but also you can network in your like W2 job or 1099 job. Like if you are, for example, I don't know, like a plumber or you are a doctor or a lawyer, whatever, whatever it is, you can, there's always people in the area that you act, that your W2 job is that you can, that have built a lot of relationships. In fact, we have raised half a million dollars um, from people that are not investing in real estate. There are like business owners, lawyers, attorneys. Um, there are doctors, or engineers. They're like, they're, they're not in real estate, but they want to park money somewhere. So. Yeah, they don't, they don't have time, but they realize the potential investing in real estate and, but they're not just going to hand their money over to anybody. They, they have to have confidence in you. How are you able to, I, I know that you went to meetups, but meeting doctors and lawyers and different people that have the money to invest, networking is important, but uh, how did you gain their confidence where they're going to invest in your deals? Uh, there's only two words, social media. Uh, and I cannot emphasize more. Um, the confidence comes when they see what you're doing and they see that, that actually um, you are tracking your journey. And I, and I tell this to a lot of my students, a lot of people that like, it doesn't matter if you are renting right now. You can literally take your phone and say, hey, I'm fixing the toilet. I'm putting, I'm painting the walls. This is a great color because... It's it's good uh, for your eyes. What whatever it is, right? Like I'm fixing the trim. I'm fixing this. Like track your journey, even if you're renting, even if you are, um, like if you're a photographer, for example, I have a friend that he's a photographer. Uh, shout out to Christian, and he he is started as a side gig, just doing real estate. He don't he's doing drone pictures. He's doing he learned so much skills, and now he he's gonna quit his job to pursue a full time and he's doing really good. So like document your journey through, through social media. And I don't have business cards, Bill. Like I don't have, I don't, I have never done business cards. When somebody asked me, what's my business card? You say, yeah, yeah. You, I can give you my Instagram or my Facebook. Everybody has either one of the two, right? Especially like older people tend to more for Facebook, younger people more for Instagram. I post in both. I have a YouTube channel. That's my business card. And that's how people trust in you because they, they I'm, you're not telling them, you're showing them, which is totally a different ballgame. I love that. I've been doing this almost 30 years and you know, realizing that social media is, is extremely important and I'm involved to a certain degree, but I, I agree 100%. I just have to make that complete jump to the daily sharing of anything that we're doing. And I, I, I build a little bit of momentum. You get busy and then you fall down again and you realize you got to get up and keep it going because I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Gary V, but I, I see his his um, videos every now and then. And he's like, Hey, everybody, do you do realize that social media is free? Don't you? Yeah. And, and you're taking, you're taking great advantage of that. I, I saw a few videos uh, last night that you had done and, and they're very well done. 
which which gives us some great insight on on how you're navigating your way through your investing journey. Um, let's talk about some of those because we, we buy a couple properties and I know you do have some investors, but it's so easy to just run out of cash. You, you find that next deal. You may need uh, 50,000, 100,000, 500,000 dollars to get into that next deal. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of your no money down techniques so you can keep that deal flow rolling. Awesome. Uh, I can, I can give you 10, but I'm going to give you just a few. Uh, and if you, okay. you know, if you want to learn more, I think there's a lot of information online, but, uh, one of my, so the way that I started with no money down was, um, I, I know some pop, some people with money, they want to invest in real estate. So basically what I did was I said, Hey, how about. If I found a deal, if I manage the deal, and then you guys put the money either for the down payment or buying or buying the whole project in cash. In this case, they have a lot of money, so they bought a house. It was a single family, my first student rental for one hundred fifty thousand. The way that we structure, long story short, it's basically I said to them, "Hey, I don't have the money, but I, I'm 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 willing to pay you guys uh, if, if we agreed on something, right?" So basically, we we split the cost of the project was one hundred fifty thousand. Each it was it was three investors, including myself. So investor A put fifty, investor B put fifty, and then they lend me the other fifty at no interest, no time frame, and I can pay them whenever I want. So I was cash flowing back then five hundred bucks, and I was paying them. My whole plan was paying them from that five hundred, um, and I was paying like two to three hundred. So. That's one of the things, one of the ways that you can do. And the whole moral of the story is like, try to find the pain of the investors that you're trying to raise money. So a lot of the pain, when I'm, when I'm talking about paying is you, they either have the knowledge, they either, or they, or they don't, right? They either have the time or they either have the money or they don't, obviously. So what I target is people that have money that don't have the time and don't have the knowledge. Why? Because if they don't have, I don't want, and I have this have happened in the past. I don't want somebody breathing down my neck because they have so much knowledge, right? That is my expertise. They can comment, they can visit my, our projects and all that, but I don't want somebody breathing down my neck. So, okay. So the time, a lot of people don't have the time. In fact, the, the people that we raise the money are people that um, uh, are, they make so much money. And they have family, so they don't wanna. They just want to invest in real estate passively. So, we have raised in the last year uh, almost five hundred thousand for from people that have like thirty thousand dollars in savings, forty thousand dollars that they just want a, a a rate. They're getting crushed in the stock market. They don't want to have the money in their uh, bank anymore, especially now with all this uh, uncertainty, right? <laughs> So what they do mm. is that I say to them, this is actually a perfect timing for me because I say, hey, listen, how about if I give you a seven, eight, nine percent, whatever the rate, current rate and project we have. And, you know, these are people that trust me. Why they trust me? Well, because it has been a lot of years developing that relationship. They see me through social media and I'm going to give you a really good tip. I always tell them like, hey. This guy that you know is invested with me already. And that gives them a boost of confidence because if they know somebody that is going through the same thing that they, they will 
go through, which is investing with me, it, it will be quicker. So um, we have raised, uh, again, I'm talking about 30 to 50 to 100 grand. We almost have raised 500,000 just like that. And we started uh, raising money, I will say, in back in November, October. So, yeah, it's been a good couple of months. That's how it works. You're able to find people to partner up in your investments with complementary skill sets. So, you know, you're finding people that don't necessarily have the expertise or the time and you're able to provide the expertise, finding the deals. So you need them. They need you and you do deals together. Yeah, I'm curious on your on, on, on what you do on a daily basis at this point. Are you managing these properties? Are you focusing on finding the next deal? What are your focus areas on a daily basis? So um, right now I'm focusing, it, if we're talking about real estate, we're, I'm focusing on uh, finding deals. Um, I actually have three people on my team that are part-time. And obviously, I have a, a a business partner that I do everything with because uh, it's it's actually more fun when you're a partner with somebody that you trust and like, and you know. So, um, and then my my daily routine is I you know I wake up if I feel like I'm I need to work I start working I don't like you know meditate or read I read if I if I feel it. Um, and then what I do is uh, I try to find deals or I try to optimize the deals that that were that we have and how we can make it better so on a management side i spend maybe an hour a week and we i, I own 32 units i manage all the i manage four units for another for other investors as well and um basically like you know it's it's the management side it's all set up it took me a year to systemize everything right uh some weeks i spend two or three which is not bad um but then I focus on how we're going to find more deals, how we're going to structure the deals, how we're going to analyze this market, try to open my eyes to more possibilities within the range that, that, that I invested. Like, you know, I have done some lands and all development, but like my area is just buy properties that need a lot of work. That is my, my bread and butter right now because um, there's a lot of things I can do with it. So, yeah, I, I try to focus more on like finding a deal and how we're going to make this deal work. Yeah, no, there's a lot there. Finding that next deal. There's so many different ways to find that next deal. A lot of us say, well, you got to do all of the above because you never know how that next deal is, is going to come around. And you just mentioned that most of your properties, uh, there's, they're distressed. They, they need a lot of work. Who's managing that construction crew or do you have in-house employees who's doing all that work for you? So we, um, we don't have like, we have a general contractor. He's not on payroll. He's just, uh, he just have a crew, a set of crews. And I think it's much better that way. Um, but we, uh, we, I, that's one of the areas that I really love about real estate is like the designing and the construction. Uh, I really, really enjoy the tenant side, not so much. Um, so um, between me and my partner, we we partnered up with like, you know, hey, can you swing by like once a week to this property to see how the project is going? We have right now uh, four rehabs um, between one flip and 
all the units that were turning around. Uh, and um, we trust the contractors a lot. We don't have to babysit them, which is which is huge. And it's so important to find those contractors. And um, we, we yeah, we just like partnered up and, 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 and no ego in our relationship. Uh, and we just say, hey, can you do this? Now, he has, my partner has some roles and I have some roles. For, for example, my partner is really good with the accounting and bookkeeping and all that. He's really good. And he's really good with like, you know, requesting lines of credit and everything that is banking and numbers is really good at, right? I am good at marketing and I am good at uh, technology. I'm good at uh, off-market deals. That's what I'm good at. So we combined that and we made a really good business. We bought um, 18 units in the last three months. So like it, it has been definitely um, a, a growing and learning experience. That brings to mind one thing that I that I heard uh, you saying um, last night on a video. I, I found it very interesting because the way I explain it to a lot of people, when you're 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 looking for no money down deals or just looking to fund your deals in general, because we all have to get creative. And I, I tell people, okay, we're all different. We all have a different set of resources. Take some time, make a list. What are your resources? You have to make sure that you have your list of resources when that next deal comes around. You've got to be prepared to make that happen. Absolutely. You have a very, very interesting technique as far as creating an, a business or creating an LLC and then building that to a point where that business had credibility where you're able to borrow money. Yeah, we actually have, uh, as a, we speak, another three to $400,000 in lines of credit because uh, we just literally, we are literally using the resource that we have. And we're not, first of all, we're not inventing them. This is, this is something that if you, if you do your research, if you take anybody here that is listening to this, can go and take one morning and call literally every bank and ask if they have business lines of credit and what are the requirements. That's all we did. And we found a lot of banks, uh, obviously these lines of credits, uh, the, the rate is high, but it's not high than like a typically hard money loan. It's actually better or the same. So the reason why we love lines of credit instead of Harmony lenders is because the, on lines of credit you can literally access. There's no appraisal. It's the, it's it's money. It's like a credit card, right? Uh, we don't. You don't have to pay points. You don't have to go to underwriting process. It's literally, hey, I need the money, and in the afternoon, if it's in the morning, in the afternoon or next day, it's already there. So um, it, it it all the resources are there, and and literally the banks right now want to lend you your money. And all you need, it's an LLC, some seasoning period. And, you know, they don't even ask for tax return, which is a little concerning to me. But if they're lending and, and we finding good deals where we can refinance later or we can sell. And, and right now we're buying deals that are like 20, 30 percent um, off uh, on and off market, off market. We're buying it at a deep discount, not because of the market, but because the relationship that we have built. Yeah. 
Everybody listening here, you're forced to get creative if you're going to be a professional investor building up that portfolio. The way I used to explain it was I'm looking for any no money down deal as long as it fits my buying criteria with the location, where it's situated, has to be a good floor plan amongst a few other things. But if we're able to go to a bank, get that first loan, and how are we going to fund the rest of that deal, the down payment, the closing costs, the, the work that you have to put in? However, we have to get that second mortgage and third mortgage, fourth mortgage, whatever that looks like. If your rents pay for all of that debt and the operating expenses and it fits your buying criteria, there's your deal. There's your no money down deal. That, that, that's what we're looking for here. This is the Collecting Real Estate Podcast. So we have a few questions to finish up this episode with you, Andres. Awesome. In five words or less, what's the most important thing you've learned since you've been collecting real estate? Persistence. Um, I will say um, really hard work, lots of patience. Maybe I, maybe I did more right. than that, but that, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Persistence, hard work, and patience. Very, very valuable stuff there. Shifting away from business a bit, and I know that you are a, well, are you a professional tennis player or are you? Uh... So, yeah, so I, I actually play professional, but now I have my tennis academy uh, here in Woodbridge. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, what are your one to two year personal goals? So I want to reach, uh, as a company, me and my partner want to reach $20,000 in, um, in our business of cash flow this year. Uh, we are about, I would say ha almost halfway there. Um, and we want to, I, I you know, I'm going to have a, a kid, uh, my first son, uh, is will be born in May, hopefully late April. So um, I want to spend as much time as I can uh, with with my 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 wife, taking care of my wife, taking care of my kid. Uh, I think that's priority for me right now um, at this point. And uh, for like a two-year goal, uh, I want to get to 100 units. Um, and that's, for some reason, that's just the number that appeals to me. Uh, maybe I will change my mind halfway. Maybe, maybe I will get more, but right now, um, that's just a number that is like for me, when I started real estate it was wildly impossible to achieve. So hundred units is, is the goal for like a, a two year, maybe three years. No, very, very nice. You'll measure along the way and, and, and we adjust our goals as we continue to measure. They're not set in stone. And when, when is your, you know, May, you're going to have your first child. Yeah. So um, when is the tennis racket go into your uh, child's hand? <laughs> what, at what age? Definitely uh, at least at three. That's the, that's, <laughs> that's at three years old. Actually, uh, they, they have done a lot of research with a lot of professional tennis players. And like, if you see Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, Djokovic, they started when they, they were like three or four. And there's no coincidence. And the reason why... Is because if you, let's say, typically when you start sport, it's like nine years old. 
if I have my kid that started at three and a half, by the time that they both have nine, my kid is going to have a wildly and more open understanding about technique and all that than a nine-year-old that just started. So it's a huge advantage. Not only that, but like the motor skills that tennis develops, like hand and eye coordination, you know, explosiveness, cord- like feet coordination, balance. It's it's so good. So three three years old, four years old is what I highly recommend uh, to people to to start playing tennis. Love it, love it. That that it's so funny. I've been I've been uh, in real estate my basically my entire adult life from age twenty one till now. But I was an athlete in high school, a little bit in college, what do you play? and I do some I do some endurance stuff over the past 10, 15 years. And man. That that's that's the stuff that really that really juices me up. I, I I love to talk about this type of stuff with people who are operating at a certain level. How can we and the listeners assist you, and how do we contact you? Awesome. So I'm mostly on Instagram. My handle is Andres Bernal, like my name, but instead of an L at the end, it's a one. Um, I'm on Facebook as well. Uh, I have my YouTube channel where I put long form content and uh short for content too and that's pretty much it that's my uh like i said my business card <laughs> that's awesome so um it's funny before i started talking to you i did some social media stuff yesterday and i did it over the weekend when i was visiting some properties that that i own down in uh, pinellas county tampa area of florida realizing that i that i have to stay consistent with this so after this this episode, I have to go down to one of my properties, meet a buddy who's a, an expert in the IT business, talking about setting up cameras on a on a uh, rehab project that that we're handling. So I, I, I appreciate the discussion. Um, I, I was going to be very intentional of 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 doing some videos on that this morning to basically just say, hey. This is what we're working on today. I think it's some, it's good information that, that people might want to hear and learn from. But uh, I'm going to jump into your YouTube channel and see what you're doing on a daily basis because it's working great for you. We all know. I think everybody knows that that's where we need to be. But the funny thing is, who does it? What, 5% of us? 10% yeah. of us? It's hard. It, it, Bill, it's really hard. Um and I actually, I'm going to confess here something I probably haven't said anywhere. Um, I burned out from social media. Like I was like getting a lot of followers and all that. And, and then um, I had a lot of followers because I was speaking my truth. And also the people that were following me, you know, friends from high school and friends from college, they didn't know, they didn't want to learn about real estate. And, and I went to a mental transition where like, should I post this video? Should I not? And I thought about that. And you want to be intentional with the social medias. But at the end of the day, my goal is to reach as many people as possible. If my high school friend that didn't, um, that don't follow me, for example, or college friend or whatever friend, family, um, and they want to know about me, they can just text me, call me, whatever, right? But my social medias are, you know, to live my truth. And, and this is my life. This is not something like real estate is perfect this is the good and then the bad and then the ugly and then the pretty so i just post whatever i feel like with no no content like the views or or the likes or the followers i don't even know how many followers i have 
Right now, I'm focusing on just being super consistent at it. And if I'm hitting the views or if I check the views and I'm not hitting it, it doesn't matter. But I'm trying to be consistent and show up and, and speak my truth. Yeah. Wow. Welcome to my life. You just, you just, you just, you just hit the nail on the head. And I'm, it's not just the two of us. This, this is what goes on with all of us. It just gets to a point where you have to realize the importance and being consistent with it because it's necessary. Yeah. I actually have a question uh, for you now. We're, we're changing roles here, but out of your crystal balls that you have right there, how how you see the market this year? I always ask our experienced investors like you uh, for about that. If if you want to give any insight, no, absolutely. And you know, I'm an expert in the Albany, New York area. I've been investing here forever. And what I learned from a, a younger investor just last week at a at a investor meetup that was interesting because he's he's a high volume real estate broker as well. And and what we're seeing here, the, the multi, the larger multifamily side has slowed quite a bit. The prices haven't necessarily come down. It's just that there's not a lot of activity going on mm. where you just have this lull in the business. But what we're seeing on the smaller multifamily two families, three families, five families, it's still extremely competitive mm. because, and, and the prices are staying right where they were. You're still getting multiple offers because the inventory is still extremely low. So it, it comes down to a supply and demand thing. And people who want to be in the game are, are, are still very, very, um, anxious. Um, he actually mentioned the word desperate to a certain thing, and, and that's dangerous. Um, at this point of the market cycle, if, if you're new, um, don't get desperate and just get into anything because there is some uncertainty here. We don't know exactly what's going to go on because what I saw back in 2009, 2010, the people that were being overly aggressive at this part of the market cycle they're, they're the ones who are left holding the bag and then the foreclosures come along. Down in the other market that I'm in, in Florida, that, that Tampa area, the demographics are just unbelievable where you have that population growth and the job growth and just that migration from all these other states into Florida. It's it, our assets are our, our performing as we projected um, and it, it's doing super, super well. So, so both of these markets still have some serious momentum, but um, you know, here we are. I think we all have to watch extremely closely month by month as we navigate through 2023. Everybody knows you had mentioned um, here we are. What, what's, What's going to happen with the banking situation? Um, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah. So, do, do, sorry, do you want to know what my opinion is? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that the only people that are in danger right now, and I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, hopefully you don't get like comments about this, but I'm going to say it. The people that bought 
uh, a hundred grand over asking, sixty, eighty thousand over asking, last year uh, or two thousand twenty-one, might be the only ones that I feel that are gonna be in danger, because uh, if the market turns, even though they're locked the rate that, thankfully they locked the rate at you know two and a half, three percent. Um, I think that if the market turns, they're gonna be a lot upside down, um, and if they're cash flowing, right, uh, paying a sixty grand more than what the house is worth, I think that um, they they can wave their the 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 they can you know ride the wave, um, and they can wait until you know the, the the house appreciate more so they can sell or whatever. Uh, but I think right now there's a, like you said, in here, there's a low inventory. The inventory is decreasing rapidly. Um, the market is getting, it's, it's actually turning to uh, heat up a little bit. Uh, we have multiple offers in one of our, our flips. Um, it's not as hot as last year in the sense of like, uh, now there's multiple offers, but there's not like a lot above asking. Um, and the reason why is the rates, right? The numbers don't make sense for a new homeowner. So I think a lot of people are not offering above asking, but they're, but they're, they're putting a lot of offers too. And I think the only, the, the, obviously the solution here, uh, in my opinion for the government is a lot smoothing the regulation, the zoning and regulations for a lot of, maybe not in like cities, but like in a lot of places, and allowing landlords to like, you know, build more like ADUs, build more finished attics, suit like again smoothing that those regulations, zoning regulations, so we can have more housing. I mean, for every rental that I have, I get at least I'm um, thirty five to forty applications a day. Wow. And it breaks my heart as a landlord. It breaks my heart because, you know, it, it's a lot of people looking for housing, not only for buying, but for rental as well. So, you know, I think I think, yeah, that's my thoughts. Yeah. And, and that's why so many of us continue to be bullish when you're able to market an apartment at a, at a high rate. And you're getting so many applications because once again, just searching for an apartment, there's an inventory problem and it turns into simple supply and demand and the rents continue to go up because we have that shortage. So, um, well, I thank you so much for being on this show. We, we could go on and on. So I got to bring you back. I want to bring you back and see if uh, you hit your 100 units and, and continue this discussion. Thanks for being on. Yeah, it's an honor to be here. Uh, it's a pleasure. And yeah, anytime uh, the inv invitation, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Enjoy your day. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bill. Hey, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a review and five-star rating. This would be very helpful to us. It allows us to build momentum in the podcast world.